The fact is that the, the same states that held on to slavery the longest are the ones that are holding on to the death penalty. My Lord. Right? And exactly where lynchings were happening oh, yes. 100 years ago is where executions oh, yes. are being carried out today. Welcome to all God's children. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go and talk about that taboo trinity, race, religion, and politics. Thank you for joining the Raceless Gospel Podcast, where word meets flesh, and where we gather to talk about the sticks and stones that break the skin and bones of the body of Christ and the structure of a church service. I am your host and podcast pastor, Starlet Thomas. The Raceless Gospel Podcast Season 2 is brought to you through the generous support of Fellowship Southwest and American Baptist Home Mission Societies. On today's podcast, I am joined by Shane Claiborne, who is the founder of The Simple Way in Philadelphia, heads up Red Letter Christians, and is a prominent speaker, activist, and best-selling author. Today, we aim to discuss the politics of death, the meaning of the death penalty, thoughts, prayers, and gun violence in America, to look at the numbers and listen to the story that they tell about us. Join us in the Amen Corner as we discuss the North American church's response to the body count. But first, won't you pray for us and do pray with me. God who doesn't work 24-7, but takes the day off according to the Genesis narrative, who calls Noah to count animals two by two and Moses to take a census of the whole congregation of Israelites, 12 tribes, 10 plagues, firstborn, one pillar of fire, one cloud by night, who delivers and sends word year after year through prophets who are crystal clear on repentance, and yet who keeps no record of our sins but numbers the hairs on our heads, lips sealed, but who speaks to women like Mary." called to carry the savior of the world on two swollen feet for nine months, one mama's boy who called 12 disciples and counted sheep until he fell asleep in a boat. God help us to get out of the boat. We confess that we are so far away from you and what counts, grace and mercy, truth and justice, faith, hope and love. Your body doesn't count for much since we crucify it again in the flesh of our siblings and your next of kin. Won't you remind us of who we are in you? Because we crossed our hearts and were supposed to die in those baptismal waters, but we are troubled by them. Because it calls us to walk in deeper meanings for living and calls into question how we can sleep through Rachel weeping. Help us to believe that all bodies count. In the name of Jesus, whose days were numbered and whose body was counted as a sheep for slaughter, we pray. Amen. When I was growing up in the South in the early 1990s, when we contacted each other using pagers or beepers, during the worship service, persons offered a testimony. It was a weekly update on how God was at work in our lives. We began, first giving honor to God who is the head of my life, to the pastor, visitors, saints, and friends. 
Well, today I want to testify about the North American church's body count. I want to scream bloody murder, but who would listen to me with all the racket we keep up in song and dance and church business meetings, committee and parking lot meetings? Who would hear me with all the shuffling of paper and feet? We are denying, betraying, abandoning, killing him, executing Jesus. We choose murder and deal in death. Barabbas, we want Barabbas. We kill him, though innocent. His hands are clean, but ours are dirty, wiped on our shiny suits, the pew or program used as a paper towel. Because we don't like what he shows us about ourselves and our systems. We kill time on Sundays and use his red letters to kill two generations with one stone and any chance that they will believe in the church. Because God is right, we think we are. But we don't always get it right. We kill innocent people and their bodies count. Their pleas for justice didn't amount to much. We're sorry. Easier to ask for forgiveness than to change the system. That's easy to say. Try this. We have to save Barabbas, too. I called the governor of Texas and asked that he spare his life. I had learned of his execution on social media. I didn't know him. I was introduced to him by way of an article. Quentin Jones had murdered his 83-year-old great-aunt, and he was going to die for it. I didn't want him to. I agree with Albert Camus. Capital punishment is the most premeditated of murders. I called, no answer, so I left a message. I, I called again, no answer, so I left another message. He was running out of time, and I swear I was on the phone line because in pleading for his mercy, I was pleading for my own. Jesus said to his disciples, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you are liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus didn't ask us to kill anybody for him. He also doesn't endorse our feuds. We have to make his body count for more than division and retribution. Our scripture reading is Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13, and it reads this way in the New Revised Standard Version. You shall not murder. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is Reverend Starlet Thomas, your podcast pastor, and we'll be right back. Fellowship Southwest is a network of churches organized around compassion. FSW is agile, ecumenical, and willing to do whatever it takes to serve people in need. Their network includes all kinds of churches, and they like it that way. At FSW, your church can be itself and your mission can be multiplied. Learn more at fellowshipsouthwest.org. 
American Baptist Home Mission Societies is your partner in mission and ministry, empowering God's people for today's real-life challenges through continuing education that sharpens ministry skills, mission trips that put faith into action, and a virtual platform for ministry professionals to network and learn from one another. American Baptist Home Mission Societies helps you live your faith every day. Visit American Baptist Home Mission Societies at abhms.org to find out more. Religious freedom has been white too long. Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty is exploring this truth and reimagining its mission at the intersection of religious freedom and racial justice. Listen and learn with BJC. Visit bjconline.org resources for videos, discussion guides, podcasts, and more to help your congregation and community host meaningful conversations about faith, freedom, and justice. This is Reverend Starlet Thomas, welcoming you back to this episode of the Raceless Gospel Podcast. Welcome Shane Claiborne, who heads up Red Letter Christians and whose newest book of which he is the co-author is titled Beating Guns, Hope for People Who Are Weary of Violence. For today's sermon, we will engage in the tradition of call and response, a sacred back and forth. Feel free to join in as official members of the Amen Corner. Pray for us as we discuss the church in North America's response to the body count. Uh, my first question is this. Uh, I'm going to set it up a bit. It says that the church has a violent side and its own body count. Its hands aren't clean. Uh, from the persecuted to the persecuting, Miroslav Volf concluded, beginning at least with Constantine's conversion, the followers of the crucified have, per have perpetrated gruesome acts of violence under the sign of the cross. Guilty of not only keeping our siblings oppressed, as opposed to being our brother's keeper, our siblings keeper, um, but killing them. How then do persons receive the gospel when there's so much blood on our hands? Mm, mm. Woo, we, we're going to get right on into it. Well, I, I want to say, first of all, that uh, I mean, you, it's unmistakable that as you look at history, um, some of the bloodiest pages of history have come from Christians. Uh, I mean, from the, you know, the justification of the slave trade to the Inquisition to, I mean, even, you know, Hitler came to power with yeah. the Bible in his hand, you know, with this distorted, toxic, deadly theology. Um, but, you know, when you try to put your finger on it, I think you did well in that, you know, naming the fact that Constantine was this shift right now there's I've read all the books you know the defending Constantine there's there's you know there, there are folks that will you know challenge how long it took right but no one's challenging the fact that the persecuted yeah. became the persecutors yeah. right yeah. That, early, that, that you know a few hundred years into Christianity people exchanged the cross of Jesus for the sword of Rome Sir. And, and you know as it became powerful and armed uh, we, we lost our faith. You know, we lost the distinctiveness of what it means to follow the Prince of Peace. Yeah. And, you know, that I mean, I think that has a legacy to this day. I do want to say that it's not unique just to Christianity, right? That right. that all religions, 
have had these violent expressions. You know, no one kills with more confidence and more conviction than when they believe that God is on their side. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's important to name those things and to say it plainly. I know you, persons often say like, whoo, that was a lot. Uh, and James Baldwin says that persons cannot stand too much truth, but I, I don't think the church can stand too much more of this hypocrisy. I think if, it's, if there's going to be a church, then we've got to start speaking the truth, speaking it hard and fast and loud and often. Um, and so it starts with us, which is why we're talking about this body work. Now, you mentioned yeah. violence and it's, it's it being found in all uh, religions, but America was also founded on violence. Um, land taken by force and people forced to work it uh, with the North American church's blessing because some bodies didn't count. Churches took sides on the enslavement of human beings and denominations were formed in response. How do we beat this history, sir? What is our mm. body? It gets in the way. It keeps coming yeah, up. Oh. Don't keep coming up. How do we beat it? It gets in the way. And, and you know, there's many folks that, that have said it in different ways. Eddie Claude, I think I've heard said, Brian Stevenson, others that have said, America is not unique in its sins. Yeah. We're unique in the mythology that we created to justify that evil, right? Yes, so, sir. I mean, yes, there's sir. all kinds of countries that had, you know, enslaved people that uh, did horrible, you know, massacres of the indigenous folks. But we're one of the only places that have created this kind of um, uh, American mythology. Right. And it has a theology. Right. Manifest destiny, the doctrine of discovery yeah. uh, and all of these ways that we, you know, we, we even to this day where we see that the national anthem, we treat it like it's a worship song. Yes, you know, and sometimes we have more, re, you, you know, reverence for the flag as if it were a religious symbol, you know, and, and yeah. so I think that all of that that uh, um, theology of uh, uh, of America um, what, 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 what I think Christian nationalism is, which, you know, is I think really manifesting itself in fresh, dangerous new ways, you know, in, in, as we speak, but it's when we replace the church and Jesus as the central instrument for transforming the world. And we replace it with America, right? My Lord. Dr. King knew that. Dr. King said, don't let anybody make you think that America is God's messianic force to be that's reckoned right. with. That's right. The policeman of the whole world. Like, so I, I think that's where we, we, it becomes so dangerous, you know, and, and Brian Stevenson, you know, he even has said that we, we won the civil rights, right struggle over rights, but we lost the battle over the narrative yeah. because we still have a narrative of American exceptionalism of this is God's you know, uh, messianic force in the world, you know, and I think that's what's so dangerous when our money says in God we trust while our economy looks like the seven deadly sins you know, like, and our Lord. history uh, is stained with that blood. So we can't get our, our future right until we get our history right. So you came to preach. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> you just snuck a whole preaching. Is that what we're doing today? Because I have my offering. I have my cash, I have my phone. I have my Venmo. I have to touch the screen right now. Oh, so it's about my. us getting our story straight. Isn't that interesting? Word made flesh, we embody things that don't go together. Uh, this American lie, the big lie we're calling it. Uh, all in the fight for life, because apparently there's not enough of that to go around. Uh, with that being said, from abortion uh, to equal access to health care to the death penalty, uh, the North American church is divided on who should live and who should die. 
how does this reality speak to our understanding of the death penalty? How does this body of believers work together for the common good and safety of all? You do a lot of work around this, sir. Yeah, I, I want to talk about the death penalty, uh, but I think it's impossible to talk about the death penalty divorced from this history, right, yeah, of yeah. Slave, slavery and racism, because the fact is that the, the same states that held on to slavery the longest are the ones that are holding on to the death penalty. My Lord. Right? And exactly where lynchings were happening oh, yes. 100 years ago is where executions oh, yes. are being carried out today. In fact, I got me a little chart. I, I mapped it all out. Just Come on here. Uh, crystal clear, you know, that I, I, I uh, took the, um, the, the document. I came with I ain't got no PowerPoint. And it's all official. Right, but, you know, but that I, I listed like the, the 10 states that we have the most documented lynchings in. I mean, they, there are just a couple of exceptions to how they line up. But really, it's very clear that. This is the direct descendant, you know, oh. of, of, of lynching and, and, and a new, you know, when, when we moved, you know, we began to subtly move from lynching folks to legal executions. And yeah. check this out. Check this out. When we did that, African-Americans were 10% of the population, but they were 75% of the executions. And now, I mean, you fast forward, you know, 70, 75 years, some things have changed, but a lot of things haven't. You know, I mean, in the criminal justice system, and specifically with the death penalty, you can see some of the uh, the, the most unevolved parts of our social infrastructure. You know, like um, African Americans now about thirteen percent of the population of the U.S., but still make up almost half of death row and over a third of all of our executions. And it's really clear that what determines who actually gets executed is not the atrocity of a crime. I mean, yeah. we like to think that yeah. this is for the worst of the worst, but the truth is it's for the poorest of the poor and disproportionately people of color. Uh, and what determines who actually gets executed is not the atrocity of the crime. It's arbitrary things, right? Like the resources of the defendant. Yeah. And the race of the victim, when the yeah. victim is white and the defendant is a person of color, overwhelmingly, it ends up being more likely to be a death penalty or execution case. I mean, check it out. Jeffrey Dahmer did not get the death penalty. Charles Manson did not. Uh, died of natural causes in prison. Harvard educated Ted Kaczynski. I mean, his trial, if you just look at it, you see. Uh, you know, and how they talked. This about. was the Unabomber, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. right. So I, I'm not saying I, I'm against the death penalty, even for Ted Kaczynski. You know, but I, I also think that we got to really name uh, how race continues to play a major role in this. And you know, I, I wrote a book on this partly because of that, like uh, building on the other, you know, great work of so many others, Brian Stevenson, James Cone, so many others. But you know, there's still cases where. Uh, like Dwayne Buck in Texas, he's still on death row. And check this out. In his case, an expert witness, so-called expert witness, presented evidence um, in sentencing. And in sentencing in Texas, what's considered is this crazy idea of future dangerousness, as if we can predict that someone can be a danger in their future, right? So Dwayne Buck and so many others like him, were, were they presented evidence that said, that black folks are more likely to be violent than white folks. And this was in court. 
And, you know, and so he, he was sentenced to death. I mean, that's been challenged now, but I mean, it, it is not, um, uh, uh, un, uh, you still see cases where the defendant is referred to by the N-word, by the judge uh-huh. or uh-huh. by the, the lawyers, even by their own defense attorneys sometimes, right? I mean, so th- this system uh, has got to go. And that's why we see, you know, innocence is a major uh, thing to consider when we look at the death penalty for every um, eight executions that we've carried out, there's been one exoneration, one person proved innocent. So I'm like, think about that. If every nine planes that took off, if one of them crashed, <laughs> you'd be like, whoa, we got a problem up that's there. Right. You know, like, like, stop flying the airplanes. Right. And so, but that that's, you know, and, and with the death penalty, you can't bring someone back from the dead, you know, and, and that, that's why it, it also raises questions. I think even for folks that have a conservative ideology, you know, how much do we trust the state with this irreversible power of life and death? When we can see our track record, when we can see our history, we know how broken our system is. I mean, we look at, you know, so anyway, that, so I, I but this is the other thing I want to say, Star, is that I grew up in Tennessee talking about being pro-life and I saw how narrowly we had defined what that means uh, really to one issue of abortion right and we would be more accurate to say we're anti-abortion or we're pro-birth rather than pro-life because as soon as you're born everybody forgets about you you know so it's like I, I, I think like to me I believe every person is precious. Every person is made in the image of God. Uh, and, and that's why, you know, I'm, I'm a part of the movement for black lives. It's why I care about immigrant lives. It's why I want to work against gun violence and the environmental crisis and the death penalty. So this is what I found, though, that was so haunting is that on the death penalty, the death penalty would not stand a chance in America if it weren't for Christians. Well, it has survived, not in spite of us, but because of us. We have been absolutely on the wrong side of this issue. You think about Texas. Half of all the executions in the country are in Texas, and it has a Catholic They do governor. it bigger in Texas. We, we get, the Bible Belt is the death knell. So I, that's a problem, you know? So I... And, and, and beyond that, at the center of our faith is an executed savior. Yes. I mean, we've had a suspicion of state violence since 33 AD. So I think we, we got to rethink this thing. You know, that the folks that are worshiping an executed savior on Sunday are championing the death penalty on Monday. That's a problem. Don't preach like that and then try to come down like you've done nothing. Don't do no, that. I, I, I mean, it, that's why it's a Shannon got worked up, y'all. Y'all can't see it, but beads of sweat are dropping. <laughs> if he were in the pulpit, if I were near him, I'd slap his back and say, preach, sir. Y'all give, me a, give me a towel, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that interesting, though, uh, that we yeah. celebrate this risen Savior? We believe in regeneration and new birth and new humanity. But don't give people a second chance. It was a practice yeah. of ministry of reconciliation decide this person is <laughs> their future is dangerous and we don't yeah. give them the same grace that god gives us christians don't do that it's always shocking. i mean it's it's as as if we have missed the entire Sir. point of the gospel Sir. i mean G- how much more clear could jesus be than i have not come for the healthy i have come for the sick My i have not come for the righteous but for the sinners blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy right I, and i think like what jesus did on the cross 
is expose all of our systems of violence yeah. and the violence in our own hearts, yeah. but not in order to glorify it, in order to subvert it, to yeah. undermine it, right? With love, forgiveness, and an empty tomb. So we miss the entire point of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, I think, when we then try to, to judge somebody and execute somebody. And, 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 you know, so many of us that are doing that as Christians, it, it really boggles the mind for me. Absolutely. So, so there is a conundrum, though, because uh, the North American church is made of both gun lovers and victims of gun violence. So uh, how do we beat guns despite our differences? Yeah, and these are not disconnected, right? I've been... Yeah? Um, I believe when I when I read the early Christians, one of the things that, that that is most powerful, I've got a book over here called The Early Church on Killing, and it's just their own words and what they have to say about killing. And they speak so consistently against violence in all of its di different manifestations. I mean, this book's kind of sectioned out and they have a section on abortion because the early Christians did talk about abortion, but it wasn't the only issue they talked about. They talked about uh, militarism and war. They talked about the gladiatorial games, which they saw as an expression and a glorification of violence in their own culture. And then they talked about uh, the death penalty, the early Christians. I mean, it didn't hurt that they were um, victims of the state Being death martyred. penalty, but you know, <laughs> I mean, but meanwhile, they're like, no, even when someone was going to be baptized, if they, they said if they work for the state in that capacity of carrying out executions, they needed to reconsider their vocation. They did the same thing if you worked in the brothels, right? They had a whole list of different careers that they were like, if this is where you're at right now, when you come to Jesus and you get baptized, we're going to rethink your job. All right. Um, so, <laughs> but, you know, uh, <laughs> But uh, uh, and, and, the, and the death penalty was one of those, you know, militarism was one of those that the, the debate for the early Christians wasn't whether or not you could be in combat. They were very clear that you should never kill. They did have a debate whether or not you could be in the military. And that was a little bit more understandable when the Roman military built aqueducts and infrastructure, roads and bridges. And so they said you could serve in the military as long as it was a non-combatant role, but you can't justify killing. That's what they were very clear on. You can't hold the cross in one hand and Sir. a weapon in the other. Sir. You know, you can't love your enemy and simultaneously prepare to kill them. And that's where I think we're at, Star, with the, with the guns, is that not just the death penalty, but check this out. Christians own guns at a higher rate than the general population. Surprise, <laughs> surprise. Two, two thirds of Americans live without guns, two thirds, but almost half of evangelical Christians own guns. And I think it's actually, uh, uh, it, it, it's, it's just mind boggling. I got this thing. My pastor friend gave me this Bible case. It's kind of a leather bound Bible case says Holy Bible on the front. And he says, this is one of the top selling Bible cases in America. And I was like, all right, you know, that oh, little like, and he goes, open it up. And it's, it's a oh. concealed carry case, right, for a gun oh uh, to bring it to church, camouflage as a Bible case. And I think that's why when but we talk about- isn't that a metaphor? Coming in with the Bible cover with violence? Oh, my Lord. And that, that's why I'm saying, like, when we use language like idolatry, it is yeah. not hyperbole, right? Yeah. Because idols are things that we attribute God-like power to. There you go. We treat them like they're God. 
but they're not, right? And that's exactly what a gun promises. I'll protect you. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll rid the world of evil. Uh, you can determine your own future. You know, yeah. like, all of these things that like, we say, no, we don't believe in chariots and horses and the Glock, right? We believe in Jesus. Like, so I, I mean, this, this theology, I mean, it's exposed itself in new ways, sorry, in this last like few years, right? You got people that say, I don't need a mask. I don't need to wear a mask because God will protect me. But somehow they're going to own a semi-automatic rifle, right? I don't need a mask because God's going to protect me, but I need an AR-15. So I, I will never be able to make sense of it. But, I, you know, I think that's why we've got we've to challenge this, this violence in our culture, you know. And, and so I'm not a single issue person. You know, I care about life. I, I, I believe that we can do a better job at protecting life. And when it comes to gun violence, um, I mean, this is not separate from our history, right? It is impossible to imagine America without guns. How else could we have taken this land and subjugated an entire population of people to build this country? So guns played a critical role. And in fact, there's a group of Native Americans that called them spirit weapons because they said that they could only be created by a malevolent deity. Humans couldn't invent something so horrific. Uh, and, and so this, this, this like violence is in our land, right? We, we think of that first inaugural murder all the way back, you know, right outside the Garden of Eden, Cain and Abel. And it said the blood, the bloods cried out to God from the ground. And the Jewish folks, they do a lot of work on this. And they say that that word blood is plural. It's bloods. It's not just Abel's blood, but it is all the blood. And it always cries out to God. It's in the present tense, cries out to God. Yeah. So Michael Brown, when they left him in Come the streets on, of Ferguson, Come his on. blood cried out, right? That's the, right. The blood of Breonna Taylor is still crying out. That's so right. That blood cries out from the ground. And God knows when God's own children have been killed. And, and I think that's where we're being asked to, to heal those wounds. And if we don't address... Uh, you know, as you're doing so well, Star, if we don't address this, the, the, the wounds of racism yeah. throughout our history, you know, it's like Dr. King says, it's like an untreated uh, wound. It begins to get infected and just to, it, it, it doesn't get better by putting a Band-Aid on it and trying to move on. Like, we don't actually treat this. And uh, so, you know, whether it's gun violence or the death penalty or our history, you know, around racism and Native Americans, the, the movement for black lives. I mean, gun violence is the number one killer of African-American young people. It's number two for all of our young people, but specifically, you know, for African-American young people, it's number one. And in my lifetime, Star, we have had more people killed by guns domestically than in all of the wars in American history combined. So there's no way that we can say that we're pro-life and not take action to try to prevent lives that are lost to gun violence and to gun suicide. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of the numbers, uh, according to the Gun Violence Archive, 21,106 people uh, have died due to gun-related death, of which 138 are children and 584 are teenagers. Uh, the North American church worships a savior who died a violent death for its redemption. And there are those who argue for and against violence and war for this position, from this position. Um, in your opinion, what would Jesus have us do with our guns? And what should our thoughts and prayers be? Last question, Shane. Yeah, well, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to just be real with you, Starlet. Go like, ahead. Like what I saw is um, this image, you know, in Mike and Isaiah, um, both the prophets, Mike and Isaiah, cast this vision 
that God's people will beat their swords into plows yes, sir. and their spears into pruning hooks. And it, and it goes on. I mean, it says that they will live without fear. People will be able to play in the street. Old folks will die, you know, of a natural cause. And it, and it says, and they will not study war anymore. Yes, sir. Na- nation will not rise up against nation. But it begins. It's interesting, isn't it? That it doesn't begin with the politicians and the presidents. They're the one that keep creating the wars and building the weapons. It begins with the people who are fed up and say, no, we're going to start transforming this metal that's designed to kill and the metal that's designed to cultivate and protect life. And so we've been, you know, turning guns into garden tools. I got one for folks watching, folks listening. Can you see it? But we've been making uh, plows, garden plows and shovels. I've been making crosses for bishops and pastors all out of the barrels of guns, you know, and it's that idea that we're going to take things into our own hands. You know, that, that Walter Brueggemann, yeah. his one, wonderful vision, you know, the uh, prophetic imagination. He, yes. He, he, and he's, he's actually been a really dear friend in, in, in all the work that we're doing. And he, he, you know, he says so well, he says that sometimes we misunderstand the prophets and we think that they were trying to predict the future. But they were actually trying to change the future. Yeah. They weren't. They weren't fortune tellers. They were truth tellers. That's and they were right. trying to wake us up, you know, and invite us to imagine a different future from the one that we're headed to right now. That's so right. that's, you know, that's what the prophets did for the, us, and they invite us to imagine a different world. And if we know that's what's coming, right, that we're going to beat swords into plows like that, that's what we're we, we need to do. And I think it's also an anecdote for this kind of. The, the cheap religion, right? The, pra- the After every mass shooting, every tragedy, we hear politicians and preachers say, you know, I want to give thoughts and prayers. And I believe in prayer. I do believe in prayer. And I, I actually, I, come on. And I actually believe that there are some principalities and powers at work in all this, that like we need God's help. And we thank God we're not alone in all this. But I also know, uh, you know, one of my mentors said, when you ask God to move a mountain, God might hand you a shovel, <laughs> right? <laughs> Come on. If ever, you know, if we keep finding ourselves praying for our neighbor to get a wheelchair ramp, then maybe we need to get some carpenters together and build one. That's right. right? That's, that's right. I think that that's where we go. You know, like God, we might be waiting on God and God might be waiting on us. That's right. And I think that's exactly the case with so many of these injustices, right? Um, and, and, you know, there are people that say, well, this is not uh, a gun problem. It's a heart problem. I say, why can't it be both? You know, right. Racism's the same way. That's right. It's, it's a heart problem and a policy problem. Like no law can legislate love. No law can change a racist heart, right? right? We need God to do that. But we also needed laws and policies to change so people can go to the same swimming pools and go to the college and vote. And in the same way today, I think we need, you know, we need God to heal violent hearts. And we need to address the fragility and the fear that expresses itself in violence so often and so often in the white community, you know, and I think we, we also need to know that, that, that God can heal hearts, uh, but we need to change some laws too. And that, that, that's yeah. why I think it's someone like Dylan Roof, you know, who right now, you know, the, the shooter in Emmanuel, Mother Emmanuel Amy Church, you know, as he killed our nine brothers and sisters as they were in prayer on Wednesday night. Um, and, and, but my friend Sharon Risher, Reverend Sharon Richard, her mother, Ethel Lance, was one of those nine that were killed. Her two cousins were killed. And yet she stood up to shine in the darkness, right? And she said, Dylan Roof don't need the electric chair. He doesn't need the death penalty. He needs to know the grace of God. He yeah. needs to, we need to pray that we, we believe as Christians. That's what faith is about. 
We believe that even someone as hard as, hard as Dylan Roof can be transformed and made new. Now, he needs to be locked up. I think he's real dangerous <laughs> right now. But meanwhile, let's not kill the brother. Let's That's hold right. out hope that, right. you know, God can change his heart. So uh, these issues, you know, they, they raise some of the most fundamental pieces of our faith. Uh, but I think they invite us to be people of prayer and people of action. So we're not just waiting on God when God might be calling us to get up off our knees and do something about gun violence or in the death penalty. So well said, sir. Thank you, Shane. Always a gift to be Yo, with I'm you. I'm buying about three, four of these tools. I'm so inspired. I'm hooked <laughs> up right now. I'll be on the website. Shane has a new book out, y'all. Well, be beating guns. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and the subtitle is I hope for people that are weary of violence. You know, yeah. we're tired of violence. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, and, and, and we, you know, I, I think we really address not just the gun violence, but the roots of this too. And we talk about some of the same stuff we're talking about right now. Start. I want to thank my guest, Shane Claiborne, and extend to you, our listeners, an opportunity to know this Jesus who counts your body worthy of grace, love, and mercy. Follow this Jesus, who suffered violence, and yet who beat death. The Raceless Gospel Podcast Season 2 is brought to you through the generous support of Fellowship Southwest and American Baptist Home Mission Societies. You can support the work and witness of the Raceless Gospel Podcast by giving to Good Faith Media. Please visit our website, goodfaithmedia.org. This concludes this episode of the podcast, but not the conversation. Let's keep doing this bodywork. Head over to Our Fellowship Hour at Raceless Gospel Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and Raceless Gospel Pod on Twitter. Absent in the body, but present in the Wi-Fi spirit. I'll see you there. On next week's episode of the Raceless Gospel Podcast, we'll hear from Drew Hart and talk about police brutality, body cameras, and a discipleship that practices accountability. Thank you.